Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. That strong church is a church that walks in grace and humility. And it's a church that does justly and loves mercy. And you see, when a church is like that, that church is going to have an impact. And the world that we are presently living in, more than any time that I can remember, needs to see the church as Jesus intended it to be. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins his study in the book of Colossians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins this series with his teaching on Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, in a message titled, Unceasing Praying for the Church. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I believe that God has a will for each congregation a will in the sense that there's something that God wants to do with that congregation in a community and maybe at specific points in time. And we need to be praying that we would know what that is. And so right now, at this time in history, we are praying, Lord, give us the knowledge of your will. What do you want Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa to be like at this time? And at this moment in history. And, you know, honestly, this is something we are praying for as a staff. We're praying for this as a pastoral team. We're saying, okay, Lord, Lord, what do you want to do at this time with your church? And so as we think about praying for the church, we want to pray that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Boy, we need wisdom today. The people of God need wisdom. These are really treacherous waters. This is, this is really difficult navigation these days. And, and we need wisdom from God. Wisdom, somebody has said, is the proper application of knowledge. So, you know, you can have knowledge. You can be a person whose brain is full of all kinds of information. You can actually be on paper. You can be a really smart person. But if you don't have wisdom, you don't know how to apply that knowledge. And so even though you're really smart, it doesn't look like you're smart because you make bad decisions and you draw wrong conclusions and you, you, know, you, you add to the problem rather than bring about a solution. Wisdom is the principal thing. We need wisdom. And as the church today, boy, we need wisdom. Here we are in these crazy times. We need to know, Lord, how do we navigate this? What do you want us to see here? How do you want us to to respond to this? And boy, I'll tell you for myself, as we've been going through this, I've just been seeking, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't want to make the wrong decisions. I don't want to go in the wrong direction. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I want to be in tune with you. So praying for wisdom and then for spiritual understanding. We as a church, we need to see the world around us. We need to see it through the lens of God's will. We need to see it through the lens of God's word. So spiritual understanding means that we're gonna look at things not for what they appear. We're going to look beyond what we can see with the naked eye, and we're gonna 
seek to see, Lord, what do you have in this situation? Lord, show us what you see here. Because, you know, it might look one way to us. We might think that, well, here's the issue and I can see it and here's the solution. But that's, that's really worldly understanding a lot of times. We need spiritual understanding. I need to see it through God's eyes. And I need to be able to act based upon what God sees in these circumstances and how he would have me to act. And so Paul prays that. But then he says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So again, think of the church collectively. The church walking worthy of the Lord. Or just to put it simply, Christians behaving like God says we should behave. Living like we should behave. Living like we really are lovers of Jesus. We're really followers of Jesus. You know, one of the biggest problems in the world is that Christians don't live like Christians. We don't live up to our name. We're the children of God. And this has happened over and over again in history, right? It's happened, it happened throughout the history of the children of Israel. And the prophets would lament over and over again how God saved this people Israel so they could be a bright and a shining light to the nations around them. And the prophets would lament and say, you know, you guys have become worse than the nations around you. Those nations are, are not even as bad as you are. And sometimes that's the case with the church. A lot of people have a very negative attitude toward the church. And one of the reasons is, is because they see Christian people and they think, well, you know, if that's a Christian, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So we are called and Paul is praying for us that we would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. That our ambition would be to fully please God. Because if I'm just trying to get by, if I'm just content to try to straddle the fence, you know, I've got one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And, you know, if I'm doing that, I'm not going to walk worthy and I'm going to be a bad witness rather than a good witness. And so Paul is praying for them that they would walk worthy and that they would seek to fully please him. And that's really the, the simplest way to, to walk worthy of the Lord is just have it as your objective. I, I want to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord. You know, sometimes people want to know, what can I do by way of kind of giving in to, you know, sort of sinful tendencies and things like that? You know, how much of that can I still do as a Christian? And, and still be okay. You know, some, I mean, for some people, it's like, well, how much can I still sin and, and then get to heaven? Some people think like that, seriously. That is the complete opposite of how we should be thinking. What we should be thinking is, man, how can I please the Lord more? Lord, how can my life just be more devoted to you? That's what Paul is praying for. And then he says, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Sometimes we forget this, but the church is called to live out our faith through good works. It seems like there's always this confusion in people's minds about faith and works. Some people are so concerned that they're living by faith, they just say, you know, I just believe God, that's all there is to it. Don't give me any legalism, no, don't lay any works on me because then that would take away from faith. 
And then on the other side of it, there are people who are, well, you know, I don't know about your faith, but man, I'm going to do these things and, and I'm going to try harder and you know, hopefully I'll, I'll be okay with God. But the Bible says that both of these things go together. That faith, which is the root, it shows itself in good works, which are the fruit. So the fruit doesn't produce the root. The root produces the fruit. So it's faith that shows itself in good deeds. And that's what Paul, again, is praying for the church, that the church will be fruitful in every good work. And you know, when, it, when a church has a vision and a mission to impact the community that they're in, you know, the good works, they're noticed by people. People notice what's going on with that. And, you know, I know of some ministries around the area where the church is out and they're engaged in doing things in the community. And, and oftentimes the onlookers will come and say, well, you know, who are you guys and why are you doing this? This is a good thing. What's going on here? Oh, well, you know, we're doing this and we're from this church. Really, you're from a church. And well, why are you doing this? Well, we just put, you know, there's a need here and we just felt like God wanted us to step out. And people are like, wow, that's, that's really good. They might not at the, on the spot say, but I want to become a Christian too. But you know, they're going to walk away and they're going to say, you know, I, I don't really like Christians, but man, those Christians are doing some good stuff. That happens over and over again. And that's what we want to, you know, set up for. We want to be fruitful in every good work. And as we do, that will be a way to impact, not only impact people's lives that we're doing the good works toward, but it'll, it'll serve to take the gospel further. And then he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of God, you know, our knowledge of God can continue to increase throughout our whole lives. There will never come a time in your life where you attain to the ultimate or the maximum amount of knowledge of God. There's never going to come a time where you say, man, I just know God. I know God so well. I, I, I couldn't know God any better. We could always know God better. There's always more. He, the, the riches of Christ are unsearchable. They're beyond our ability to finally comprehend. So our whole lives as Christians and our whole life as a church, we can keep going through the word of God over and over and over again, and we're never going to exhaust it. What we're going to do is actually we're going to uh, increase in the knowledge of God through that. And then he says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So he's praying for the church, that the church would be strengthened. Now, remember the churches in the New Testament time, these churches, they were persecuted. The people that came to faith in Jesus in those days, they came out of paganism and they sometimes came out of Judaism, but they were not at all appreciated for what they had done. And they would oftentimes experience persecution, and sometimes very intensely. In the first few centuries of Christian history, we know that there were these periods of great persecution where many Christians were killed. And so it was that sort of an, an environment. 
And the apostle, knowing that, he says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering. The Christians needed to be strengthened so they could be patient and so they could suffer long. What's the difference between patience and long suffering? Well, patience has to do with just, you know, maybe things are delayed and you're, you're waiting for them. Maybe you're getting restless. Maybe you're getting agitated because, you know, things aren't happening. Oh, Lord, I need patience. Maybe you're impatient with a person. Long suffering means you're actually going through something that's causing suffering. And the prayer is, is to be strengthened, to be able to endure through that suffering. But then he adds this word with joy. And you see, these are the things, these are seemingly small things. Joy, it seems like a small thing, but it's really not. It's a huge thing. Because when you are in a difficult situation, when you're in an unpleasant situation, when you're in a trying situation, when you're in a testing situation, when you're in a place where you're actually you know, suffering and you endure that joyfully, man, that speaks volumes to people. That is huge because that's not what we normally see. These kinds of things can be such a powerful witness to others about the reality of who Jesus is. And so Paul knows how important for us personally it is to maintain our joy and to be patient, but he also knows that this is part of the church's powerful witness to the world. And then finally, he just says, giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. And Paul, as he follows his own teaching here, because remember in Philippians, he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so here Paul is doing that very thing. He's requesting these things. He's petitioning the Lord. And then he says, and giving thanks to the Father. Now, as we come to our conclusion, I want to remind us of this. So again, although this prayer can be taken and prayed personally for yourself or for others, or like I said, I ask people to pray this prayer for me. We're looking at it as a prayer for the church collectively. And we have to remember this, that the church is Christ's visible presence on the earth. See, that's what the church is. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. And he drew together his body. And since that time, the presence of the Lord has been in the church, and it's through the church that God wants to reveal Christ to the world. And so we have got to understand that. Now, this has been said, and I think that it is true. As the church goes, so goes the culture. As the church goes, so goes the culture. You see, if a church is being what God intended it to be, it will have an impact on the society that it's in. Jesus said, uh, regarding the church, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt preserves. It keeps things from corrupting. And light, of course, drives out darkness. Jesus says to the church, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. But he says, if the salt loses its flavor, it is then good for nothing. And it is cast out and it is trampled under the foot of men. 
And this is what happens when the church loses its witness, the whole world then just goes down with the church. And then there are places all over the world where you could look and you could see that there was at one time a strong Christian witness in this place. You know, in New Zealand, there's a, a city called Christchurch, a city. Why is it called Christchurch? Well, the people who founded it believed in Christ and they founded a city and they called it Christchurch. If you go into England or Scotland or Wales or Northern Ireland or places like that, you know, or Italy for that matter, or different places in Europe, you can find all of these references to Christ and to the word of God and, you know, go to these universities and you've got Jesus College and you've got, you know, all of these things. And you think, wow, this is amazing. Drive down streets in, you know, these different cities or towns and their streets that have biblical names to them and so forth. You think, wow, what, what was going on here? Well, the Christians were having an influence in the community. But as time went on, and as the church moved away from confidence in the Bible and proclaiming the word of God, the church began to decline. And slowly but surely, the culture around began to decline as well. And so as the church goes, so goes the culture. Where the church is compromised, the witness of the church will be lost. So let me just mention compromise for a moment. A church that compromises is a church that seeks to accommodate the sinful culture. That's one way the church can compromise. The church seeks to accommodate the sinful culture. The church, uh, the causes of the church, the church just takes on the causes of the world. Boy, we are living in that time right now. It's really interesting. If you look at so many of the causes among people in certain aspects of the church, they're identical. The world is like setting the, the pace for what people are going to be passionate about. And so that's a, an indication of a compromised church or a church that is self-righteous, a church that's forgotten that we too are sinners saved by grace. That is a compromised church because we've lost sight of the fact that we are saved because of God's love, not because of our own goodness. Another manifestation of a compromised church would be a church that aligns itself to the worldly powers so that the distinction between the gospel and the party platform is hardly distinguishable. And this has happened over and over, and it still happens today that you find that there's a, a mixture between uh, political ideas and biblical ideas. It's like I was talking earlier about that syncretism. And so for some people, being just a moral person is equivalent to being a Christian. If you are for a certain party and you're against these certain vices and things, then you're a Christian. Well, not necessarily. You might just be a conservative moral person, but that doesn't mean you're a Christian. But all of these things are ways the church can compromise. But when the church is strong, the witness and the impact of the church is going to be powerful in a community. So a church is strong that holds fast to God's word regardless of the cultural pressure that comes upon it. You know, there's huge pressure in the culture today upon the church to get with the program, you know, get with the times 
And the favorite saying is, get on the right side of history. You know, so many people talk about Christians as, you know, you've, you guys are on the wrong side of history. Well, actually, we want to be on the side that God is on. His, we want to be on his side. And so we can't be pressured into compromising God's word because of the culture. But, but the faithful church uh, proclaims the gospel in word and deed. Not just, not just speaking, but, but living out the faith and putting feet to our belief and action. And that strong church is a church that walks in grace and humility. And it's a church that does justly and loves mercy. And you see, when a church is like that, that church is going to have an impact. And the world that we are presently living in more than any time that I can remember, more than any time that I can remember, needs to see the church as Jesus intended it to be. And the church that Jesus intended to be is found in the pages of scripture. So how can we contribute to that? Well, we can contribute to making the church what the Lord intends it to be and what the world needs it to be by doing the very things that are mentioned here in the prayers, by praying them for ourselves and for one another. But for the church collectively, how can we see this happen? Well, we can do what Paul did. Paul prayed for the church. Remember, this is his prayer for the Colossian church, for that church in that city, for those local congregations spread throughout that city. This is what Paul's praying for them so that they then would be that bright and shining light that they could lead people out of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And so we, as God's people, we need to pray for the church. We need to pray for our church. Lord, give us wisdom. Show us your will. What do you want to do with us right now at this time and in this place? Work in our midst. And, and Lord, we want to pray for the church in our, in our region, in our county. You know, sometimes what happens, this is, you know, the, the enemy is so... Well, he's smart. He knows how to he knows how to, to break down a good witness. And what he does so often is he comes in and he gets churches all divided against each other. You know, and in a community where the church is to be working together for the for the cause of the gospel, he comes in and he tries to sow division, jealousy, things like that tries to put it in the hearts of leaders to say, hey, don't listen to that guy or don't ever go to that church or, oh, that's bad over there. They're not as good as us. Man, we got to just forget all of that stuff. Just like, Lord, we need your whole body. And so we, we want to pray for the church in our community, praying for the church in our community, praying for the church in our state, our nation, around the world. And what do we pray? Well, we can pray this prayer right here. Perfect, perfect prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. And man, this is, the, this is the prayer that the church needs at this hour. And like I said, this is the prayer that I need. If you want to pray for me, 
this is the prayer. And I'm going to pray this for you too. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with a Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. In our current climate of social injustice and sexual ethics, many today do not believe that Jesus has any relevance for today's culture. But what exactly does Jesus say about social injustice and sexual ethics? And in a world filled with moral atrocities, have you ever wondered what it means when people say that God is love? What does Jesus' love actually look like in everyday life in the 21st century? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions or know someone who wants to know who Jesus is, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series, Jesus Encounters. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.